0: What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off The Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Gabor Grabach is director of digital asset strategy at VanEck, where he previously worked as an analyst on ETFs. Gabor is one of the masterminds behind the $50 billion asset managers move into digital assets. In this conversation, we talk about the ridiculous accreditation laws, what an ETF is, why regulators are currently concerned, and how retail crypto projects will evolve over time. This conversation is packed with tons of knowledge and insights. Once you learn something, I hope you'll share it with your friends. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital, Before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor, Block Estate, a security token project in the $200 trillion industry of real estate. They've partnered with Polymath and Coinless Comply API to create one of the first tokenized real estate funds, and they have a unique buyback and burn model. To learn more, visit blockestate.com. All right, guys, this is going to be an awesome episode. I've got Gabor here from Vanek, and uh, we've got a lot to cover. We're going to touch on uh, all things uh, ETF, retail products, and then some cool stories uh, from your background, so I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Bob, for having me. Fun to be here. Absolutely. All right, so let's, let's get started with, uh, you know, uh, born outside the U.S., right? And so let's walk through kind of how um, your background, how you get to the U.S., and, and we'll go from there.
1: Yes, absolutely. So I was uh, born in Hungary, which is Central Europe, uh, in 1990, and that is the time when you know communism fell in uh, Eastern Europe, and uh, the uh, my parents were also in Hungary. And uh, my uh, probably the interesting Bitcoin and digital assets related uh, part of the story is that. Uh, uh, two generations of my parents suffered under various dictatorships, first the National Socialist in, in the 40s, and then uh, from the 70s to the 90s under communism. And uh, both of these generations had issues with their property, so their properties have been confiscated, and they would be would have been very glad if they had an asset, something like Bitcoin. So, uh, you know, 90s kid, I started in Hungary, lived a little bit in Germany and Italy, and then... Uh, came to the U.S. to finish up my high school in, in of all places, Massachusetts, at Deerfield Academy, and then uh, went to uh, Williams College. Uh, Williams College At Williams College, I triple majored in mathematics, uh, sociology, and German. Uh, I was Bitcoin class of 2012, and I was class of 2014 on, uh, and otherwise in, in math. And uh, so I did a lot of work uh, in, on distributed systems and, and discrete mathematics and graph theory, and that's how I found Bitcoin.
0: That's amazing. Bitcoin class of 2012. I haven't heard that one yet, so I, we're going to have to uh, steal that one. Uh, so, so let's talk about uh, your family grows up in Hungary, right? You, you obviously um, ha- have that experience. And uh, before we were talking about uh, Bitcoin transactions early on uh, in Central Europe didn't exactly involve Coinbase or, or any of these other exchanges. How are people actually transacting Bitcoin at the time?
1: Yeah, that's actually a super interesting question. So uh, I was uh, I was at the uh, the budapest technical university and and one of my friends was telling about this thing called bitcoin and uh he was about to send uh, something like $80 worth of money to a Romanian dude who he has never met on Western Union. And the plan was that he sends this $80 to this guy who he has no idea about. And he's going to get an email with his public key. And a few days later, in a physical letter, uh, he would get his private key. And then he would have access to this imaginary thing on what's called the blockchain, or really, Bitcoin. And uh, so that was Bitcoin trading in 2012. And uh, in the same year, uh, two exchanges, uh, Bitstamp and BTCE, B2C, uh, uh, have, have been established. And you know, since then, we have come far. We have over-the-counter trading, high-frequency trading, futures contracts, ETFs. That's almost crazy to me. <laughs> <So>, well, <Whoa, whoa,
0: laughs> hold on. But, but it's even crazier what you just described, right? So uh, 2012, first of all, why is your friend in Hungary sending money to somebody in Romania that they don't know?
1: Yeah, I mean that's uh, so there was obviously a technical university in in Hungary is just famous of uh, producing some of the best mathematicians and in combinatorics and distributed systems and uh, so they were studying uh, he was studying distributed systems and 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 one of the so one of the things that we've done together is looking at uh, how difficult it would be to destroy the internet you know things that Eastern European guys are thinking about in like Budapest Hungary but uh, so uh, the uh, so we got interested in in sort of like uh, resistance uh, systems that are resistant to stress and uh, we found that it takes about like 81% of you need to destroy 81% of the computers on the internet in order to shut down the internet and uh, we were thinking about in the context of like economics and money and 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 found Bitcoin uh, through through some of the, the subgroups at, at the, the university who are who are studying really like practical systems that you know are in place not in not in theory but in practice and 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 that's he was like like, you know, I need to buy this, but how do you buy this? And that's how he, he you know, you just go into Reddit and sub blogs and then found this uh, <laughs> Romanian guy who's selling Bitcoin.
0: That, that is absolutely amazing. And so uh, what people were doing is they were sending one of the keys via email, and then they were literally sending the private key via snail mail, literally a physical letter with the private key in it. And so me as the recipient, I would receive the email with the public key, mail, you know, in a physical format with the private key, I can put them together. Now I've got access to, uh, to the Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, that's correct. And, and that was, you know, from purchase to settlement, it was probably around five, seven days. And geographical distance was probably around 400, 500 miles. So if the guy was really in the place where he you know, stated he was, but we never figured out whether he, he was at that place, but he delivered on, on the obligation. The, the crazier thing was that you literally had to put up the check on Western Union to a person, before any of these things would happen, uh, but yeah, that was Bitcoin trading in uh, 2012.
0: The crypto community really trust each other.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I think the Amazon KYC systems got a little bit better. Since
0: then, so. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So, so how do you go from living in Hungary, sending eighty dollars to random Romanians, to uh, working at Vanek? What, what's kind of the the path there?
1: Yep. Uh, so uh, I graduated from. Um, Williams College and uh, my degree was in mathematics and uh well I, I reached out to a bunch of people in our alumni network I'm, I'm sort of you know known to be a power networker and, and I really take networking seriously so I reached out to a bunch of folks uh one of our board members introduced me to Jan uh, Jan Vanek who is the CEO of Vanek today and uh and the guy's a visionary, and he runs a private company with roughly uh, you know, $50 billion in assets. And from moment to one, I, I knew that that's where I want to work. So I joined the uh, uh, ETF team at VanEck. So my, my responsibilities were um, a few fold. One of them was uh, building new ETFs for the firm. So we built some you know country funds, green bond funds, a, a divide-mode ETF mir- mirroring Warren Buffett's investment strategy. We built some uh, uh, EM local currency bonds, and 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 you know Vanek was specializing to uh, in providing access to harder to access areas. So my job was to kind of do the non sexy work in the background, and, and we also have like large client clients, and and I think Morgan Creek is occasionally our clients, and but the large shops are. Um, uh, the large shops are, are asking for the allocation recommendation you know, why should you own gold why should you own emerging markets and so those were the questions that I've been fielding and uh, because of my background in mathematics and, and the pickup uh, in, in crypto about uh, two years ago I kind of one and a half two years ago I refocused completely on on, on crypto and uh, and basically since then um, I'm, I'm working on building the right market structure for uh, exchange traded products and and, and, and digital assets related vehicles.
0: Amazing. So, so before we get into all the digital assets, kind of the, the exciting, sexy stuff of today, uh, VanEck's got a really interesting background, right? The company itself. Um, let's walk through, you know, how did the company get started and, and, you know, what were some of those early products like and then eventually into the gold market? Uh, but but let's really start at kind of the founding of the company.
1: So VanEck was built in 1955. That That's not yesterday. So it's one of the older private asset manager companies. And it was established by John Van Eck, who is uh, a visionary, and he he has built a few things that are real firsts uh, in the market. So uh, in the fifties, uh, uh, Mr. Van Eck, John Van Eck, that is uh, built the first international investors fund. So uh, after World War Two. Mr. Van Eck was thinking about ways in which the uh, post-war reconstruction could be accessed, and how an investor from the United States would benefit from from that growth that would inevitably take place. And so uh, he built the first international fund. And people are like, '50s it were like the international stocks were like Bitcoin in the in the 50s. People, why would you invest in in these things? And uh, in the next years to come, uh, international investing uh, picked up and uh, so that was the first fun, and then uh, in the uh, late '60s, uh, Mr. Vanek, uh, I think he at that point of time he had uh, a few kids, and uh, he he was uh, you know employed kind of full time, and decided to do a PhD in economics of all things, because uh, as as our CEO Jan Vanek would say, uh, you know that's the kind of thing that, that uh, people have time for in evening school and PhD in economics and. And Mr. Vanek was a student of uh, Ludwig von Mises, uh, who was a, an Austrian economist and a part-time professor at NYU. Uh, and uh, so Mr. Vanek caught the gold bug, uh, liquidated, I think, something like 70 to 80% of his holdings. And in 1968, he created the uh, first gold equity fund uh, in, in in the United States. And um you know back then again like people asked the same questions as 13 years before why the hell would you invest in uh in, in gold right uh and and what is gold good for and uh and, and before the uh, gold standard was done away gold was fixed at you near know, 35 dollars per ounce and uh So Mr. Vanek just created this fund, and we we know that gold sort of, like, picked up around $1,200 an ounce today and and became an $8 trillion uh, market and and is the top safe haven asset uh, uh, today. And then um, kind of the story goes forward. uh, Jan Vanek, our current CEO, took over. And in the 2000s, he launched uh, one of the first of these things called the ETFs, <laughs> and uh, you know, ETFs became in the U.S. Uh, around a four trillion dollar industry, and and provide um, unprecedented liquidity and access to harder to access areas. And uh, so, Jan, uh, our CEO, has pioneered ETFs, and he built some of the largest uh, gold uh, equity ETFs, GDX and GDXJ. Uh, and uh, he also uh, hired a geologist. Uh, hired folks from you know, there's a bunch of international people from it. He also uh, built uh, some of the first uh, EM equity funds, uh, and you know, EM equity does really well at Vanek, and built things like uh, Moat, and Moat is our you know, Warren Buffett-like uh, <laughs> investing structure, uh, and some of the large municipal bond funds and uh, and 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 a few other products on the on the countryside so areas that are that were at the mo- at the time harder to to access for for instance like the russia uh, russia investing was really tough because of sanctions and we built a fund uh, rsx that provides access to russia and uh we built some of the you know smaller cap Indonesia, Vietnam, and, and 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 smaller country exposure funds that people have a hard time investing in in a in a way that would be liquid. And uh, so so you know fast forward in time uh, about I think around, we started conversations like two and a half three years ago on on, on the topic. Um, we we wanted to see what we can do in the digital assets and then. And so it was, it was a natural for VanEck to kind of transition in, into it. And, and while, while we were like, oh, okay, so our core competency now is ETFs. And, you know, around $35 billion, if our $48 billion is an ETS, we wanted to build a Bitcoin ETF. And then learn about this, like, a whole slew of things that needs to, you know, be put in place, like valuation, custody, and all these market structure questions that we were you know, not aware of at the moment, at that moment, at the time.
0: Absolutely. So so let's talk about, you know, what is the parallels that you guys who are one of the pioneers in uh, kind of gold and gold ETFs, et cetera, see with the digital asset space, right? So are there any things that you learned from uh, kind of being at the forefront of of the gold industry that that you're using today, or maybe even things that you're avoiding? Uh,
1: Yes. So um, first of all, we learned that similarly to gold, uh, uh, I mentioned valuation before back in the uh, in the '70s, uh, people were in the same same places with Bitcoin. Gold markets were fragmented, and no one really understood like what what is the price of Bitcoin, right? Uh, and uh, so we learned that <laughs> we would need to put in place a, a benchmark that that would uh, that would be sufficient uh, for for pricing Bitcoin for in institutional investors. So through our uh, German subsidiary MVIS, which is a, a EU benchmark registered. Um, indexing entity, uh, we launched uh, regulated indices and, and iterated with the SEC, CFTC, EU regulators on, you know, is this good enough to price Bitcoin? And, and so we, we tracked the top 50 markets with our partner Crypto Compare, uh, which is a UK shop, uh, one of the probably best known shops for providing accurate data on crypto. And so i teamed this that with Crypto Compare and created these uh, benchmarks. So that was, you know, pricing and valuation was one of the things. And then secondarily, uh, we knew that, you know, derivatives markets are going to be built around physical things that are traded or, you know, as physical as Bitcoin gets. But, like, we, sure enough, uh, futures were, uh, futures contracts by CBOA and CME were, uh, uh, at that time, built. And, uh, you know, we learned our, our commodity traders uh, at VanEck were instrumental in building some of the, the first golden commodity contracts. So, we learned, for instance, that... Um, uh, cash delivered contracts are are actually you know the an improved version of futures contracts and a lot of people talk talk about physical de- physically delivered Bitcoin futures but a uh, cash delivered futures so in in the 70s there were physically delivered futures because if you had you know a a thousand barrels of oil. You actually have to go to the port and take your thousand barrels of oil. And then traders are like, "Well, you know, I don't know if I want to have a thousand barrels of oil delivered." So they created something called a cash delivered futures. So, and started rolling contracts and having these these type of obligations that are ne- never delivered. So, we immediately understood the cash delivered uh, futures, like as as they exist today, are actually an improvement and they are useful. <laughs> so uh, those are one of the things that, two of the things actually that we learned.
0: Absolutely. No, so, so fascinating. So let's go into what an ETF is, like ETF 101, right? So I I know nothing about ETFs. Pitch me on what is an ETF and why are they important?
1: So um, liquidity is the single keyword why ETFs are important. And so an ETF is basically a stock. Stocks plus a stock plus a mutual fund equals an ETF. Uh, So a mutual fund is generally a a vehicle that uh, has. that trades and that can pool assets and, and provides, uh, uh, it's a pooled investment vehicle that investors, different larger amounts of investors can can put money into. And we have mutual funds on emerging markets, the S&P 500, and, and, and a bunch of other things. Uh, and mutual funds are um, sort of like were an, an invention or innovation in the 70s that you can invest with other people. Unlike what you do kind of on a private equity basis, you go, yourself and not with others and uh, the the tough part of that was that mutual funds are non transparent so that you don't know the exact amount of holdings uh, during the day and often during the month uh, so you just don't know what the mutual fund manager holds and you put your trust uh, into the ma- into the manager that they do the right thing uh, ETFs is, is adds the aspect of a stock to the mutual fund so e- ETF by definition is, is exchange traded funds so it trades on an exchange like a stock you have every 15 seconds, you have a price stick. On where it is and at the end of the day um, uh, you, you also have the holdings published the issuers need uh, need to publish their holdings on a daily basis and the cool thing is at the end of the day you can always buy at 4 p.m. u.s. time for us ETFs at an ETF at NAV and any NAV is a net asset value so at every day at the uh, every at the end of every day you know the exact value of the fund holdings and you can you can transact on that and the reason why so why is this Kind of, so th- this is what an ETF is, and how do they work? Well, uh, ETFs uh, are securities that issue shares. So ETFs say an ETF I- issues a hundred thousand shares, and uh, they what what then happens is companies called authorized participants, like um, larger uh, wire houses, uh, your Goldman's, J.P. Morgans, large companies of the world, uh, buy the underlying uh, of. Uh, Stocks of an of an exchange trade fund and exchange it for the share of uh, an ETF So why is that important for for instance for the S&P? Let's just use the S&P 500 as an example Uh, if you bought uh, The the S&P 500 stock by stock they would be it would be really hard to do (laughs) if you wanted to replicate that uh, performance now uh, if you if an a large company but does the work for you and buys the the underlying assets and you can just exchange it to the share of the ET. that makes the purchasing process more efficient cheaper and these companies hold large inventories of uh, of the underlying assets so that means that they will add liquidity whenever you want would like to issue or redeem shares uh, of, uh, of of a fund so basically you get an extra set of uh, uh, liquidity from uh, from uh, authorized participants who are uh, incentivized to buy and sell uh, securities, and liquidity is the single most important keyword in, in investing, especially in the in the crypto markets where if you put you know a thirty million dollar order in, that may impact the price of something, let's say Bitcoin, fairly significantly. So, so ETFs by definition help uh, with liquidity management and. Uh, yeah, so they, they're just, and, and they're, there's what I call them, ETFs are sort of like uh, the a trust minimized version of uh, stock investing, because all these parties that are like the APs are, are competing with each other, they don't need to trust each other, they, the investor doesn't need to trust the fund manager, like the hedge fund manager or mutual fund manager, and and. and and sure enough, ETF did pick up.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so, so what are the downsides to an ETF, right? There's a bunch of pros, obviously, especially in crypto. But but what are the downsides to actually having these products available to retail investors?
1: I, I see very, like, com- compared to the current landscape, if we are talking about uh, um, digital assets specifically, I don't see many downsides because ETFs add liquidity they have kind of like AML kYc requirements generally their custodians ensure the underlying asset and uh, and and again it's the uh, tr- most trustless form of investing in the uh, in the crypto space the possibility the, you know wh- when I when I have conversations with some of the, in the top sort of like Bitcoin, older Bitcoin guys they don't like the idea of a, some asset manager accumulating large amounts of Bitcoin and uh Sort of, sort of like acting on behalf of their uh, uh, customers and because it's kind of against the spirit of Bitcoin. and you know I, I think <laughs> think myself often that isn't it crazy that we're launching an ETF on Bitcoin where when Bitcoin is this sort of like decentralized retail oriented uh, asset and and you know some people still prefer to hold their uh, private keys and, and, and have different cold storage solutions or methods of storing their asset and that's their preference. Uh, but other other folks like um, say my I don't know my mom for instance my mom is not very good and despite the fact that she's from Eastern Europe she's not very good at cryptography and uh, she wouldn't be able to cold store her assets and I wouldn't want my mom to uh, walk around with a with a thumb drive of like a million dollars that wouldn't be safe so an ETF just kind of adds this component of uh, you know security professional asset management around it and probably weirdly enough and and you guys if if you you trade crypto you know this uh you get tax reporting and other reporting on, on your assets which is incredibly hard all the crypto trading is jurisdiction dependent today so that you know that extra tax reporting component is just helpful um
0: Absolutely. No, and it's so fascinating because, you know, with these ETF products, you get more liquidity, you get more security, right? There, there's some um, sophistication, some validation, et cetera, that come with these products. So as you guys saw, okay, digital assets are becoming an asset class that we want to participate in. We've got all this institutional knowledge and experience from decades of working in uh, other assets, you know, gold, etc. What was the first thing you guys filed?
1: So, uh, first, uh, we filed for, uh, so, uh, VanEck was first to file for a futures-based ETF. Uh, and you might ask why a futures-based ETF. Uh, and th- so, the reason for that is uh, every month, two months, we see a major hack of some sort somewhere around the world. And, and today, there are no custodians in, in, in the digital asset space that are, you know, full-fledged institutional custodians that could hold exchange-traded fund assets, at least no one really puts their balance sheets behind digital asset activity in a meaningful way. I do think this is a lucrative business, and we are going to see entrants coming in uh, next few years. Definitely, I would say, uh, but no custodians existed. So we said, okay, uh, since the, the uh, there are, there are two f- so futures actually first when we filed the futures contract didn't exist, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. and and so we filed for this futures ETF hoping and, uh, you know, that there will be futures contracts, as we have seen from our commodities experience. And that way, uh, what happens in futures land is that, you know, the, at that point of time, my thinking was that if you don't own Bitcoin directly, the best way to uh, own Bitcoin for institutions is not owning Bitcoin. So uh, buy the futures, post the margin, uh, that you're using with a futures commodity merchants and futures commodity merchants are basically uh, are, are, are buying and selling uh, the, the, the the contract in clearing houses. And you know that way no one has to worry about actually physically custodying Bitcoin while you are getting price exposure, either appreciation or depreciation. but you're getting the exposure through through an ETF and then you know inst- only institutions could, trade futures, so it's like well we want to make it available a bit more broadly and and let's just package it and have our our, our futures uh, trend commodities trading team do the work for them
0: and, and what was the regulator's response to that first filing right what, excitement fear in between where, where, where did they really come out with that as you guys had conversations with them
1: so uh First, when we uh, filed the ETF, the call that we got is that, hey, guys, the, <laughs> the Bitcoin futures market is, doesn't exist yet. So uh, we got rejected uh, on that. And then I mean, we're not the kind of people who give up. Like, and we, we kind of show that in the gold space as well. So um, surely enough, we sort of expected the, the, the CBO and the CME uh, contracts to come out at year-end uh, uh, 2017. They did come out. We refiled Futures contracts and I existed and, and we we're like, oh, you know, we're ready. And at the same time, like we sort of iterated our uh, indices that we built with them says we have the largest data set in, in the world today to, to price Bitcoin. And we have sold a valuation problem long ago. So here we can price it. There's futures contract pricing from SIBO and CME. We have, you know, a secondary level pricing from MVIS to 50 platforms. We're also kind of working with some OTC guys on, 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 on pricing and, um, and then uh, filed again uh, for it. And then the response was that you, know, you guys should withdraw it because the, the, the futures uh, market is not mature enough. There's only like 150 to $200 million of futures trading that's small compared to other commodities. And while our experience was that it's not the case, because there are other small like freight futures, electricity futures, and more thinly traded futures that are that have ETFs on it, I said fine. You know, we we're just gonna work through your uh, questions, and then so there was just ever moving target, and uh, uh, so so that the futures effort we just kind of had it in file we, we had to withdraw it again for reasons and so we, we wrote a letter if you guys are interested in reading and the audience should actually read this on like why the futures market is ready for an etf and uh we, we discussed like why valuation is there there is enough volume there's arbitrage uh, between futures and spot um, markets trading is efficient otc guys are amazing are able to uh, trade away spreads and you can, you know, sometimes Bitcoin trades at a better spread than the, the small, uh, country ETFs. So it's like, okay, like the markets are ready. Um, so, so that, you know, that's, so that line is, is kind of ongoing and we're working with regulators and then they, you know, some of the things that are now focusing on is surveillance and are the markets surveilled? Uh, what what
0: does that mean? Right. So, so are the markets surveilled? Explain that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, for instance, the U.S. equity and futures markets uh, participants are generally part of something called uh, this inter-surveillance group. It's a group of exchanges. The larger guys are part of it. And what they do is they provide trade data to parent exchanges and owner request to the CFTC, for instance. So this uh, surveillance means that you are... Uh, Monitoring uh, for wash trades and potentially illicit equiti- uh, activities uh, on on your platform, and uh, Nasdaq happens to have probably one of the most uh, well-known solution called Smarts, and and that that monitors the top manipulation patterns, and and basically it gives uh, exchanges uh, assurance uh, that there's no illicit equity in their, uh, activity on their platforms, and they can also report out to other larger exchanges or regulators that we have a clean. Clean exchange. So actually, to my crypto friends, I, I already recommended to use Smart's, the, the Vincovas brothers, and Gemini use Smart's, and some of the other exchanges are, are are, looking at it. And why is that important? Well, you know, for instance, we don't want something like Silk Road money hitting uh, an ETF, and uh, and exchanges need to put put in place best practices through these surveillance kind of uh, these are just sophisticated programs that monitor trading patterns that we use otherwise in the equity and futures market and the goal is to make the crypto market look exactly the same and and I think we are actually decently close. Like, it's probably 70% there, which is...
0: Do you do you think that it's important to have that uh, pr- those protections there because uh, the regulators need to see it and, and it needs to look similar? Or do you think that uh, they actually do protect investors and, and, and there's some of this, you know, wash trading and manipulation, et cetera, that's happening? And, and so we need to kind of clean up, um, you know, that, that, that volume and, and kind of the trading
1: patterns, et cetera? Well, I mean... The, First, uh, yes, it is important to the markets need to grow up. Uh, we need grown-up markets for ETFs to come in, and uh, it is important to protect uh, the, the large exchanges of the world are incredibly lucrative businesses, and it's in their best interest to to be clean. Uh, at least like ninety-five percent of them should be clean, uh, and and they want to be. Now, uh, it's not it's not just a regulatory cliche, in my opinion, because. At the end of the day, again, you want the same protections from uh, from like th- that you experience in the U.S. and, and Western and well-developed capital markets, because investment is uh, kind of, <laughs> funnily enough, about it's, it's about trust. So you shouldn't experience someone running away with your money, or you know, someone, some exchange trading their books against you, uh, so that they can pay their employees or something like you know, th- those things. Th- exchanges just need to grow up, and and they're on a good path. Before we move on, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor, Block Estate, a new
0: security token project in the $200 trillion real estate market. They've partnered with Polymath and Coinless Comply API to create one of the world's first tokenized real estate funds tokenization is the process of creating a digital token that represents ownership in a real world asset. You've heard me say it before, but a clear use case for this is real estate. Block Estate aims to bring increased liquidity to this massive market. We're really, really thankful to the Block Estate team for their support, so we'd appreciate if you checked out their website at blockestate.com to learn more. If you're intrigued by what they're doing, feel free to reach out to them or give them a tweet on Twitter. Thanks so much. So how do you see uh, ETFs and other kind of retail financial products evolving in the digital asset space over, say, the next two years?
1: So um, the, um, on the retail side, so right now, and, and, and you know it very well, like uh, uh, the uh, digital asset space is primarily retail. So people estimate something like 90 to 95% of it is retail. And uh, you know, from from conversations for the larger like OTC markets and exchanges that I had, it kind of confirmed that. Uh, so you know, retail is kind of served already, if you will. So these these the exchanges and platforms just need to get better with their practices um, with respect to products. I'm I'm really hoping that. Um, That ETFs can come in place because what's available right now doesn't offer the full protection as of of what ETFs do And I'm gonna give you just some some examples to this Uh, crypto trading platforms for instance do not have uh, The best execution type of principles apply to their their books like you know high frequency market makers are scalping retail investors on on those platforms every second Uh, there there's kind of like best bid and, and offer principles on US equity exchanges. And those things should be applied to crypto platforms. And ETF is, is required to have that type of protection. Uh, the whole uh, so AML and KYC, I would actually think that say that the AML and KYC standards of most established exchanges are amazing. Uh, it's actually harder to uh, open up. Uh, at, so, sorry, it's let, let me just phrase it this way. Uh, It is easier to open up a German bank account. And I did this a year ago when I was at Envis building uh, indices in Frankfurt. Uh, It's easier to open up a German bank account than getting a level, a a tier three verification from a crypto exchange. I'm not kidding. Like You you take a a passport photo with your face and a timestamp in it, banks never ask for that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, that, you know, the AML and KYC stuff is actually, you know, very well monitored. So it's, it's all in pace. I'm hoping for ETFs uh, uh, and uh, I'm also hoping that some of the larger players who have regulatory requirements and they have skin in the game also come to the market because right now, crypto companies just uh, kind of enjoy the, their monopoly in the space and, and for that reason, they might not give the best pricing and customer protection type of things to, to their customers.
0: Absolutely. And it sounds like today, as you guys think of digital assets, really what you're focused on, cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin specifically, right? And so they're highly liquid assets that um, operate as a store value medium exchange. Uh, one of the show's sponsors is a, a company called uh, Block Estate, right? And basically what they have is uh, they've got a tokenized fund in the real estate space. And so um, it's backed by you know real world assets or, or equity. Um, how do you think about retail products like ETFs, et cetera? Moving away from cryptocurrencies, or at least you know, in an additive way, looking at these equity-backed tokens or security tokens. You think that's something that's likely to happen? We're far away from it. Where, where does that kind of fit in um, the the vision of at least what you guys
1: are looking at? Yep. So we're looking at all kinds of assets. We are you know, there's uh, we're looking. We're launching a product. We're trying to launch a product around Bitcoin now, but. Uh, I could see in the future how we would, uh, as the market develops, look at and, and evaluate uh, other sort of like security tokens. Uh, you mentioned the real estate uh, space; it's actually super interesting to me. Uh, we uh, we have a real estate ETF that invests in REITs, and and I think you know REITs are actually one of the main targets of <laughs> of, of of these uh, you know tokenized. Um, initiatives that are ongoing so I you know I, wel- I welcome a conversation with your sponsor or really anyone in uh, on, on the space regarding reITs or um, or, or anything we, we've been obviously pitched around gold because we <laughs> you know, we're, we're kind of the gold experts and in, uh, in, in the space but uh, I would see in the, f- the future ten years down the line I would see how um, ETFs would contain securitized tokens because why not the big question there is how liquid are these things and and how is it trading that's going to be the single most important question uh, Anywhere, and I think I think one needs to list these tokens at um, at at regulated platforms in order to kind of get more widespread adoption and I would also like the ETF thing is just the, kind of the easy way of going a- about investing, so you don't have to worry about tax and, and you know all kinds of rebalancing and, and activities that most of us don't have time for. But I would uh, love to see uh, more um, developments and just like uh, user interfaces and, and apps that that would be e- that would provide easier access and easier regulated access to these tokens.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Look, so you know the block State guys, blockestate com. I I, uh, I want to make sure that they uh, they, they get some airtime there. But um, how do you think about other ETF type applications? So think of uh, Bitwise, right? So we built a uh, a large cap index uh, product with Bitwise, and and uh, another thing that they're doing uh, on their own is they've launched a. Uh, crypto index ETF, right? So whereas a lot of people have gone after Bitcoin specific ETFs, uh, they've said, look, why don't we uh, apply for uh, an actual kind of top 10 crypto uh, type index in an ETF structure? How do you think about Bitcoin only or kind of a single asset ETF versus these uh, index approaches?
1: Yep yeah, so uh, I I like the Bitwise guys and you know Matt Hogan is uh, his friends of a company for a long time He's like it the e- was, he's
0: like one of the ETF yeah. legends <laughs> Yeah and
1: you know, love the guy love the uh, Love Hunter and, and you know, they have done a great job uh, at at the, at their work and, and you know like the fund that they the the private fund that they have uh, right now I think it's a smart thing to do and and I hope that they get traction with the 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 SEC on on, on with their multi asset product uh I would think just kind of, you know, going rationally about it, that a single asset Bitcoin type of ETF would be approved uh, before a multi-asset would be. Uh, that is the sort of, uh, um, you know, <laughs> Bitcoin is more established, has more history. Some of the tokens, supplies and centralization you know, questions are still outstanding on, on on, if you look at, you know, say the top ten. Uh, there, there's questions around dark tokens and um, <laughs> some investors holding you know 50% of the supply in escrow, some something like that, uh, and and so um, you know that that's some, just something to think about and and regulators I think are, are looking at that too. But you know, just to kind of support uh, the the bitwise approach too, uh, Vanex Mvis actually was the first one who launched a multi-asset index, uh, and I I spent uh, six months in Frankfurt with our about 20 people analytics team to do that and uh, that so so i know i do believe in the power of diversification and i'm regardless of who the issuer would be i'm really hoping that a multi-asset product comes to market the key there is to make sure that the tokens are clean and they're liquid Um, so if uh just on the indexing stuff and and obviously i'm biased on on this i I i love what mvis and crypto compare does there's you know 20 people in frankfurt 15 in london Iterated some. Basically, we, we have non-academic investable indices that are, um, are are also you know tradable. For instance, that was super important for our country funds. Then okay, you know the S and P 500 looks good, but how do you trade that? And fortunately, the S and P 500 is liquid, but maybe Vietnam and and the top digital asset ten is not liquid. So, um, so if you guys want to check out that uh, the the indices, I'm. Mean, happy to give more color and uh, but multi asset approach is just you know, diversification so far it didn't work out in the past year for people because you know all coins are down <laughs> in, in, in 2018 like the, the DA10 is uh, I, I'm keeping an eye on that uh, is down like 80% Bitcoin held up like 60 went down 62% and Jan and I were just our CEO and I were talking about this that our, we wrote a little piece for our investors on, on Bitcoin and we, we said that we expected that your Bitcoin wouldn't lose 80 or 90% of its value and uh, so far it's holding up and fi- fingers crossed and the other digital assets did not hold up as well uh, as as Bitcoin did. And and you know again I'm uh, biased on this but I, I'm a Bitcoin guy. So I think there's a there's a case for you know, trust minimized uh, money. and. Uh, and the other tokens are, are all dependent on their applications. So I think there's going to be a winner uh, in, the, in the payment space, whether it's uh, Ripple or Stellar Lumens. There's going to be a winner in, in sort of asset issuance and uh, the Ethereum, EOS type of uh, space. Uh, we don't know who that is yet. Uh, and so it's, you know, it's interesting to monitor those uh, before. you know, For every one winning position, there's a 100 that competes.
0: Absolutely. It, it is the, uh, it's the ultimate protocol wars, right? Yeah. To, to see kind of who, who becomes king in each one of these uh, these applications. Um, okay. And, and so one other thing that recently got a bunch of attention is uh, Gemini. So Winklevoss twins, uh, they launched a regulated stable coin. Right. So they were one of the first people who have essentially said, look, we're going to ensure that uh, it's backed one to one by the U.S. dollar. We're going to allow kind of external third parties to uh, validate or audit that 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 is true. And then uh, the U.S. dollar sit in uh, a FDIC insured state street account right? And so very similar to, I think, what you guys at VanEck are doing in terms of trying to legitimize or professionalize a lot of these, um, the products, the the uh, the tokens, et cetera. How do you think that impacts just crypto in general? Big deal, not a big deal? How how should people be thinking about that?
1: Yeah. So um, getting sort of like regulatory approval on uh, pretty much anything is, is, is a big deal and, and getting regulatory support and, and regulators understand more about the space. So that's a that's a good thing I would say, and my you know I, I would go back to my keyword. What is the liquidity of this? Uh, and sure, like all the, Brothers did a great job in general, getting this uh, approval and and trying to get this product to market, and and I think people look at it favorably, and and, and I I do too. I, I'm interested in the liquidity profile, and you know how much control really the the exchange has, you know, can they freeze account? Apparently, like, in, I think it's possible to freeze some of the assets on in 48 hours turnaround or something. You know, that's not like Bitcoin. Bitcoin cannot be frozen. And that was one, that was one of the, one of the reasons we are looking at that this, you know, trustless, uh, decentralized, uncontrolled thing. Uh, and uh, so that, you know, that's that. But, the other on the stable coin front, uh, we've seen from the success of Tether. As in, people have a varying opinion opinion on Tether. I think they have done a great job on on uh, on solving the problems of U.S. dollars and, and money on on Ramp. So you know, Tether is fast. People want to see their holdings in 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 dollars, and and people want to trade large amounts of uh, of assets. And Tether's created that market. There are questions around the audits and. And I'm I'm excited for you know those markets to get better and improve. And one one thing that I'm I'm most excited about probably in the stable coin space. I'm again I would put Bitcoin in front of any other stable coin. But as far as stable coins go, I, I you know I read some things and and heard some things. The Circle is working on uh, on on a stable coin concept. And uh, the I think the institutions that uh, the Circle folks are working with with are are just kind of worth monitoring. And ver- it's worth monitoring new entrants and 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 so far like the execution that the circle team has done uh, on pretty much anything that uh they have they have was excellent and you know kind of liked how they clean up polo uh in their acquisition their otc desk was excellent so i'm looking forward to to see some like competition in the space and what the circle guys are coming up with because i i would think that uh you know, sometimes uh, the Winkle Boss Brothers tend to do uh, all, everything, like a lot of things. Uh, and, and they have, uh, and, you know, again, they may have conflicts of interest or they may not have full resources to support everything. But uh, the Circle guys kind of focus on, on a few things, and, and I think they do have the resources to build something interesting. So I, th- as far as stable coins go, I, that's, that's the one I'm monitoring.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, look, I, I found uh, Jeremy and the Circle guys to, uh, to be great at execution as well and then super thoughtful about kind of where they deploy resources, et cetera. So, so that's, uh, that's another validation there. Um, all right, so let's do this. Let's do uh, some rapid fire questions and then uh, we'll wrap it up with, uh, with you asking me one question. Um, first question though is, what do you think is the most uh, conver- controversial thought that you have in crypto where the highest number of people would disagree with you?
1: Ooh, that's... Uh...
0: What do, you, what do you believe that everyone else is going to disagree with?
1: Uh, that's kind of the you know, zero to one Peter Thiel question is actually one of my uh, uh, favorite books. So uh, h- here it is. Uh, and Bitcoiners are cr- probably going to dislike me a little bit for this. I, my, the higher controversial thought is that the B- Bitcoin needs an ETF. Uh, we are, you know, just to go with my uh, Game of Thrones re- references, a lot of people are looking at Van, I as kind of Castle Black holding the wall of institutional money. Uh, and, and, and I do think that, you know, e- the ETF, an ETF comes out, then Bitcoin is going to stick around for uh, probably a century, <laughs> if, 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 if not longer. And the reason for that, and, and I don't need to talk too much about that, is... Uh, so if wall street companies support digital assets in a meaningful way then you now have wall street and crypto kind of going against government and right now wall street is in the middle so i I would actually encourage crypto companies and that's what we see to to kind of partner up establish products that are um you know don't don't fit bitcoin exactly into the existing capital markets but bitcoin is inherently compatible and make it work and I think that's you know the one the one thing that uh, most people would disagree with me is Bitcoin needs an ETF.
0: But do you agree that that's only correct as long as the ETF doesn't create more liquidity or more kind of claims on the 21 million Bitcoin, right? So so basically, as long as the ETF matches one to one uh, to up to 21 million Bitcoin, we're okay. But the second that we start having more claims than there are Bitcoin, we could run into some trouble. Is that fair?
1: I I completely agree with that, and, and in fact, uh, we we have uh, we're sort of uh, what we're trying to do is uh, and, and I can't talk m- more much about our security and, and custody solutions, but we want to, so by definition an ETF has to show its NAV. So every day the block in the Bitcoin uh, blockchain you can show uh, the wallet sizes, and the ETF can show NAV. So. You can show one-to-one correspondence between a wallet size and an NAV, it, and we are committed to doing that. We are committed to uh, basically keep up Bitcoin's uh, standards in the space.
0: It's uh, awesome. Uh, all right, so other than VanEck, you, you cannot answer VanEck. What do you think is uh, the most important company in crypto right
1: now? I, I'm monitoring the OTC desks uh, interesting the, so um, it's probably the non sexy answer again uh, and so the so I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, uh, circle the RWs Cumberland and, and Genesis uh, these guys have been instrumental in um, in bringing uh, crypto to the institutional space and they are instrumental for exchange traded products and and increased liquidity in, in in the space so I would say the the uh, the the top uh so actually maybe let's just say the otc firms and i also think that uh your nasdaq surveillance system is going is actually a bigger deal and people don't talk about it enough so nasdaq smarts and the otc desk the three u.s otc desks combined are, are, are the ones that i'm monitoring
0: yeah, that's definitely not a uh, not not a popular answer, but but I think a really smart one. Uh, all right, so let's say you have a magic wand and you can wave that magic wand and change one regulation or law. What would it be?
1: Uh, I'm on the same page with Hester uh on sort of like the the retail and institutional investor standards. I think they're BS and, and it will, will change over time. Uh, retail investors uh, should be able to access uh, private in, private investments and. know, um, when I was in college, I didn't have, you know, the required amount of money to be an institutional investor, but I think I was fairly smart to be able to say whether I want to invest into something or not. I expect the, so the, the individual and retail and institutional investor standards to change over the next decade.
0: Yeah, so you're talking about the accreditation standards, right? And, right. and the idea that um, you, you'll, you'll appreciate this because uh, I've gone as far as to say that actually the accreditation standards are, uh, as they currently stand, are violating the American dream. Right. And Absolutely. so if you think about yourself moving to the United States, the American dream is that no matter where you come from, what language you speak, what your background is, who your parents are, or where you end up in the US, you should be able to build a life of wealth. Right. And, 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 and do it through your own effort. And so because these laws literally say you have to be rich to in order to invest in some of the best investment opportunities, the rich can only get richer. Right. And, and we're boxing out or precluding an entire uh, demographic of people based on wealth from investing in those opportunities. And, and um, it's pretty ridiculous.
1: It is indeed. And I actually couldn't put it better. <laughs> and uh, I, I just you know, it hit me in the face when, when I started working in the in the financial services industry that can invest in private securities. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. You know, the, all the Silicon Valley VCs are, are making a uh, bank based on just very basic probabilistic bets And and not don't want to put them down, but there's not much thinking on many of those investments. You just spread it out and look look for the next 1,000, next unicorn, Uh, whereas small people who have, you know, a few $10,000 of uh, assets that they kind of earn from something like their work, say, that the average New York person or something cannot invest into the next uh, Facebook. And I think... Uh, so I, some people, again, argue with me on this, but I think crypto actually opened up the door for private investing. And, uh, you know, definitely, like, people, younger people start to have experience what it means to to invest privately. And obviously, these crypto projects are, and often you know, there's governance issues. There's a bunch of other things. But, you know, I, uh, if you guys read uh, the, the SEC's kind of newsletter, uh, Chairman Clayton uh, came up with you know, his, his views on how we should revisit investing in private securities. And again, I, I, I credit that to crypto and, and, and not just our work, but the crypto community's work of showing how important it is and how much interest there is in, in, in investing in, in private things.
0: Yeah, I mean, look. To, to me, the the most ridiculous part about it is we're using wealth as a signal for intelligence, and we should probably just move to a system where we actually use intelligence as a signal for intelligence, right? And so <laughs> yeah. move to some sort of knowledge based test or or knowledge based system rather than a wealth based system. Uh, but but that's not neither here uh, here nor there. We can go for hours on that one. Um, all right. So what uh, what one question do you have for me?
1: Okay. So uh, since you're probably one of the most well known guys, and and. In the you know, crypto crypto investing space, and you're, you're doing a, a lot f- uh, for us. I'm wondering what are the three things that you are looking forward to in the next three to five years in in crypto, and 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 what what should we be all monitoring? So you know, three things according to Palm's worldview. <laughs> oh
0: man, this is this is a, this is a good question. Um, all right, so three things I'm excited about next three to five years. Uh, one, right now, my partners and I are absolutely on a, you know, a war path to getting institutions off of zero, right? So right now, a lot of these institutional investors, we're talking uh, family offices, endowments, pensions, foundations, sovereign wealth, etc, have zero exposure, right? And the idea that you can have zero exposure to the best performing asset class over the last five years, um, and and it's just pretty insane, right? And so we don't think that they should go and put 500 basis points, right? We don't think that we actually even know what the right number is. There's not kind of a one size fits all for every portfolio, but we know zero is not the right number, right? And so you know we're on this war path to get every institution in the world off of zero and get exposure to the asset class. So I think watching that. Um, happen is really important we've got a couple off of zero and I think that we'll continue to do that and, and there's a bunch of other people working to do it as well but as more and more institutions move off zero I think it's gonna be a really important trend um, two is uh, the accreditation laws I mean I I, I just it, it's the one thing that irks me to death is that you know in a country where um, we are supposed to be kind of the you know the, the lighthouse of freedom and prosperity etc um our laws don't reflect that. Right. And, and, and so it'd be one thing if, you know, kind of in practice, it was hard to implement or, or something like that. It's just, No, the law is written in a way that prevents anyone from having the opportunity, right? And and I just, I think that goes against everything that we stand for, and it's got to change. So so I think as that changes, uh, if, you know, uh, Chairman Clayton said it in a very interesting way. He said, look, I'd love to give more people access to these private market opportunities while keeping the same amount of investor protections, right? So it's not giving up protections, it's just giving more access with the same protection. And so if they're able to figure out a way to do that, I think that'll be a huge inflection point, not only for crypto, but just private investing in general, and also wealth creation for for Americans. Um, So I think it's important. And then the third thing is uh, is outside the US, right? So I think that, um, you know, People in the Western world get very kind of insulary thinking and, and they think that, you know, we are the say all be all around the world. And, and in some markets we are and in other markets we're not. And I think crypto is one of the first times where we're seeing an industry uh, being created on a global scale from day one. Right, So, you know, a lot of people in the United States who had never traveled to, you know, say Asia, for example, and seen, you know, just the, the amount of, uh, of uh, intellectual talent and energy and capital and stuff that's being uh, put forward into this industry, I think is, um, you know, they just don't have that perspective and, and they're missing out on how important it is there. Right? and so if you kind of extrapolate that back to, to the US I, I would almost question do we actually have enough intellectual capital being put towards this do we have enough ca- you know kind of traditional capital being put towards this uh, and, and if we don't do we fall behind is that good is that bad right and so kind of this idea of a, a, a geographic um, arbitrage around uh, talent capital attention um, regulatory issues etc um, I think is going to be something that's really important to watch um, and at some point in the future may actually actually be uh, a, a negative uh for the united states i don't think the u.s is used to being in that position and if
1: we get in that position how do we respond oh, Those actually <laughs> three areas uh, i mean I, i'm also focusing on probably you, you put it much better than i could and a lot like sometimes the, the allocation the two things is like, the allocation question i you know i'd love to discuss at some point in more detail vanek has uh jan who is much smarter than i am uh and, and i wrote a piece uh on what should be the candidate you know, that what's the right level of adding digital assets to a portfolio and by the way we live through the same thing with gold and commodities so it's an interesting evolution uh, totally on the same page on um, on the accreditation accreditation standards and, and kind of working on it uh, the the international kind of realm and, and, and arbitrage regulatory and capital arbitrage and um, I'm so fascinated by Asia and uh, how much one can learn, uh, spend a lot of time in Europe and and, and, and the U.S. at various places, but uh, Asia is sort of a, a frontier that you know, we shouldn't uh, underestimate. Like, you know, Singapore, Japan, China, uh, right now I think probably Japan and Singapore and Vietnam are, are something worth watching. China is a harder act to crack, but uh, it's definitely interesting
0: absolutely no man listen you guys are doing some uh, some amazing work i really appreciate your time and uh, i think you know all of us here are are cheering for you guys to uh kind of break through on on a couple of the applications in the the public markets and stuff so uh so good luck and and uh, thanks so much for coming on
1: thank you pom It's always a pleasure
0: thanks again to our sponsor block estate to check out their tokenized real estate fund you can check out www.blockestate.com hey everyone pop here